Hi, I'm Rashawn Scott, and you're listening to Improv Nerd with Jimmy Corain. Jimmy. Everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, and we're sponsored by the Idaho Laugh Fest. Now, the cure for your holiday hangover will be at the third annual Idaho Laugh Fest, held January 7th through the 9th, 2016. Idaho Laugh Fest is already one of the biggest festivals in the Northwest and features over 70 comics in improv, stand-up, workshops, and more. Submissions are open right now through August 31st. It's just $25 to submit your troupe for a performance slot or... You got a cool workshop? It's just $15 to submit your program. Check out the details at IdahoLaughFest.com. That's IdahoLaughFest.com. And if you're in the city of Chicago on Saturday, August 22nd, I will be offering my two-person scene tune-up. Let me help you fine-tune your two-person scenes so you can become even a better improviser. Spaces are limited to 14. For more information and to register, go to jimmycorain.com. And check out my book, Improv Therapy. It'll help you with those things that get in your way that is preventing you from becoming the best improviser you possibly can be. In this book, we get honest. We get real. We talk about things that improvisers are afraid to talk about, like judgment, judging your partner's ideas or your own ideas while you're improvising. We talk about jealousy, what to do about it, and also how to deal with having a bad show. We don't want you to quit. We don't want you to kill yourself. It's a really short read, and it's only $3.99. It's available on Amazon.com as an ebook, or you can get it as a PDF version on my website at jimmycorain.com. You know why? Because you deserve it. Guess what? We got another great episode for you on Improv Nerd, uh, but you kind of expected me to say that anyways, because we're, we're kind of getting to know each other, aren't we? I think this relationship is, we're starting to get closer, and uh, I, I kind of like it, don't you? Our guest today is a cast member of the Second City ETC here in Chicago. She's currently starring in the 39th Review There, Soul Brother, Where Art Thou, Rashan Scott. We talked to her about her amazing confidence. At 26, she is already on a resident company at Second City. We talked to her about how she became the recipient of the Bob Curry Fellowship Award there and how her singing background and musical theater background has helped her at Second City. Before we get to the episode, I am not a very affectionate person. I have a very hard time saying to someone, I love them. And it's something I've been working on. I've been working on it in group therapy. And I've been practicing saying, I love you, with Lauren's parents. Now, every Sunday, we talk to Lauren's parents. They live in Pennsylvania. We live in Chicago. And we talk to them for about 25, 30 minutes on the phone. And I always end the conversation with, we love you. Because we is easier to say than I for me right now. I'm working on it. And then there's this long pause, a short pause, I should say. And then they hang up the phone. Now, the first 20 times, I, was, I felt like, you know, why aren't they saying I love you back? You know, or me too. I mean, that, that's what I usually say. Even if I don't mean it, I just do it so I, I don't make the other person feel uncomfortable. So I'm over that, that uncomfortable part of it. But now I'm kind of like, um, I would, I, in a weird way, I don't want them to say that because I kind of want to see, like, how, how long can it go? Like, like, the, like, I don't want them to ruin the streak. So it doesn't surprise you, does it, how screwed up I really am? Uh, you're going to love this episode. It's just so inspiring. Rashawn Scott, I mean, 26, and how quickly she she rose through the ranks at Second City. It's inspirational. Here it is, the Rashawn Scott episode. Enjoy.
we were talking backstage of your music, mm -hmm. and your parents were very supportive of your music, and you, you, the whole, your dad loved Prince, and the whole family went to go see a Prince concert. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell us about that? Oh, sure. So my dad is a huge Prince fan, always has been, always will be. Like, as a young kid, you think of, like, cool hipster dads now. That was my dad in, like, jean shorts and a Prince T-shirt and the glasses. So every concert that he would come into town, my parents would always go. So we would presume mom and dad are going to go to the concert. So this particular year, it was the True Funk Soldier when the album Musico Musicology came out. So we knew my parents were going to go. They were all dressed up, and they said, you know, kissed us goodbye. My cousin was babysitting us, and then we got sent up to our rooms. And on our beds were my dad's old concert T-shirts and tickets to the show. How old were you then? I think I was in probably seventh or eighth grade. And my brothers were like nine and 13. What do you remember from that concert? Oh, my mom got on stage. With Prince? Yeah. She Did was picked to go dance on stage. <laughs> like we, uh, we showed up to our seats, which were kind of a nosebleed section. Mm -hmm. My parents were like, cool, you guys are up here. We got front row seats, so see you. They went all the way down <laughs> to the front, and my dad needed to step out to like smoke a cigarette. And I guess the stage manager came by was like, hey, do you want to get on stage? My dad pushed her into his arms, like, yes, yeah, she does. And so we're up in the seats, and we, are, we see, like, girls coming on stage to play dance with Prince. We're like, oh, that's cool. They seem like dance girls. And we're like, that's our mom. That's mom. That's mom. We were telling everybody around us. They're like, nah, that's not your mom. No way, no way. And then when they come back, she's like, oh, my God, did you see that was me? I was on stage with Prince. They're the same height. They were both wearing heels. It was great. <laughs> Awesome. Um, and then you also said, because you have, you love music. When I you do. Mm -hmm. And you, I love this story. You talked yourself into getting into the jazz. Yeah. Into Can the, you tell us that? Into the jazz band in high school. And it was so, instruments, right? Yeah, it was all. <laughs> so there was uh, my old band teacher. There was a really great jazz band that would re record um, a jazz album with other schools, like at Garfield High School in uh, Washington State. So these were like the best jazz bands. So he really held it to a high esteem. And so I was in the concert band at the time, was kind of the highest level you could, and only the best musicians were in the jazz band because it was a zero-hour class. And so I would always say, like, hey, you know, you should definitely let me in as a vocalist. That would be, like, set us, you know, up the bar. Because they didn't have a vocalist. They never have, oh. and I don't think they had one after <laughs> I left because <laughs> I dug my way into it. So he was like, you know, you could just join show choir if you really want to sing with Sean. I was like, no, they're other people. Why would I why would I want to do that when it could just be me? So I like eventually talked him into me being in the band and I, I played like auxiliary percussion. So I played like the cowbell in a couple songs and then I got to sing a couple tunes. What did you sing? I sang Misty, which How is How does a, Misty go? Can you give me a look? Um it's an old uh gosh, got me on the spot. Um uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Okay. But I remember that it was a little out of my range at the time. Mm -hmm. So I like hated it. And he would always like rush on up higher in the octave and stuff. But it, eventually I got to sing like a couple other things. But it was just fun to be around the band. This is what I like about you. You have this, this confidence. This mm -hmm. like nothing gets in your way. Not true? No, definitely. I mean, I got where did be, you where did you get the confidence? You just have to. I mean, I would presume from all the women in my family. My mom has five sisters, so there's a lot of like opinionated people who are looking out for each other. And you kind of, I mean, my parents instilled in me like, if you're gonna do something, be the best at it. So why not? I mean, I'm not a mean person, so this confidence doesn't get misconstrued. Do you as ever like, do you ever get do you ever get like down like if you get rejected on an audition or something like that? Oh yeah, I mean you like people get, you know, if you get rejected from something, you feel bad about it, but you're also like, oh my gosh, there's so many other things that I can be doing. Like I try not to get my hopes super high up because if you don't get what you want, then you're crushed every single time. If you like if everything's going to be the next crazy big thing in your life and then it's not, you're going to be living like you know, you're crushed all the time. So that, that's how I live my yeah. life all the time. Crushed all the time. Crushed. I mean, uh, because I make it about my self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Do you? How do you separate those? Separate your self-esteem from. Like, if I don't get a part, it means I'm a bad person. Uh, <laughs> that is a bold statement to okay. say about yourself. So if I don't get a part, then I think, okay, well maybe 
maybe there's something else I could work on. Maybe in that audition my diction wasn't very good or I wasn't fully myself. Like I've been going on auditions now for like television things, which is great. Something brand new because I've had so much exposure. Like Chicago PD and... Oh, no, like commercials. Okay, like commercial auditions. Basic stuff like that at the, for right now because I've had so much time in the theater, so it's a very different to perform for a room full of you know, 200 people versus a camera. So you feel like, oh, you want to be yourself. So you feel like when you go into these auditions, you're kind of primped and proper, and you're doing a little bit extra when they really just want you to be yourself, and that is good enough. And sometimes, you know, there's thousands of parts. Just If I don't get this one diabetes commercial, am I really going to be that torn up about it? No. I would be. <laughs> um, so you went to college at Western Washington University, mm -hmm. and that's where you got exposed to improv. Uh, well, I'd been, you know, I watched Whose Line Is It Anyway as a kid, um, and I'd always, like, watched Comedy Central and listened to uh, comedy albums. I really, like, loved laughing as a kid. I was kind of a, a, sh a ham, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, that... And what kind of ham things did you do as a kid? I would sing or just like be very nosy about things or my dad had this old reel-to-reel -reel and I would record on it like me singing or just like narrating what's going on around me or I just, I was a nosy kid. I was always the one under the table like listening to grown Were your parents listening. cool about that? Yeah, my okay. parents were very, I was always supportive. My mother is an artist as well. She, what kind of art? She draws and makes dolls and jewelry and she has her own business that she's had ever since I was probably, um, a, a baby like she would make children's clothes and then she progressed into her own art and she went to school for that and my dad is um I would he's an, I would say he's an artist too he doesn't like fully um do all of that but I mean he was a musician and very like all about words and will talk your ear off about one little tiny thing in a record like did you hear the horn section of that yeah I did no you didn't and then he'll rewind it right. and make sure you listen to it again um but when you were at well, Western Washington mm -hmm. University, you were in this group called the Dead Parrot Society. Mm -hmm. And you said it was the <laughs> best time of your life. What oh, did yeah. you mean by that? Your I'm, face is lighting up. I love the dead parrots. Like, I'm just going to say squaw, and then they'll all know what I mean. Uh, it was, what, what was that? What is squaw it? is just like, we're birds. <laughs> so <laughs> squaw was just be like, if we're in a crowded place and we're like, is everybody ready to go? We just say squaw. And people are like, oh, yeah? What's going on? Okay. We're leaving. But it, was the, it really was the best time because these people who played were just so f happy with being silly. Like you weren't so worried about looking like you're the cute girl in this improv class or you got to be the most machismo guy. Like these guys were doing ranges of things and telling stories and, and having a really, really good time. And my, my best friends I met in college in this group who are my friends to this day who I speak to all the time and I care about what they're doing. I mean, you know, it's like any other family where you have problems, but then you go, those get worked out. And we got to travel with each other. The like, first time I ever came to Chicago was with these people. And, you know, I love them. And what happened when you guys went to, came to Chicago? What changed for you? So we were in uh, the college improv tournament, which is run by Chicago Improv Productions uh, through Jonathan Pitts, and that's how I met him and got connected. And at the time, I was the business director of the group. So we were making our we did like the regionals in Seattle at uh, Jet City Improv and uh, then we won that and so we came over to Chicago and we did excuse me workshops and did the performance and went to the finals round and so we won we were the top improv team in the nation that year so it's like holy shit we did it and you wouldn't think and it hadn't the title hadn't gone to anyone outside of the state of Illinois in like four years so it felt very good to like snatch it back to the Northwest because we're better than everyone. Um, and this, it was just, I had never seen so many improvisers because the, really the only improv around at the time was at the school or um, uh, the Upfront Theater, which is Ryan Stiles' theater in Bellingham, Washington, which I played on their ensemble stage for a little while too. So that was really the only thing I had and this was like the place to be, you know, it's kind of hollow ground. And you just met so many like-minded people who really wanted to do this. And you could think like, oh, I could definitely make a career out of this. This is a good skill to have. And So you go back to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And what happens then? Uh, the next year I do this thing called the British Arts Tour. And I go to New York, London, and Japan. So I was kind of busy doing that. And then I graduated. Then I moved back to uh, Seattle 
kind of fill out the resume. I was working at Old Navy. That was great. Uh, was it or not? Yeah, I love. I mean, I worked at Old Navy for like three years in college, and then outside of college, and like you know, retail. That's when you find the most characters of people in the fitting room. Is when people would be. What's like the weirdest thing you saw in a fitting room? Um, this woman thought that I had children. She's like. Oh, you know what it's like to have stretch marks and three kids, right? I was like, oh, uh, no, I don't. I don't have any kids, so do you want the sweetheart jeans or do you want the flirt or, like, you, would you like an Old Navy credit card? Like, I'd have to do shit like that. So I did, it was just weird. And kids who steal, that's, like, the dumbest shit ever because there's so, ma- there's so many ways for us to catch you. Like, I'm watching you. Don't steal. Like, what's the dumbest thing people did to try to steal? I, I, I'm fascinating with shoplifting. It's like, amazing. people who, the, like, the, the layers of clothes. Like, you're not going to, I saw you walk in with a tank top, and you had a collared shirt, like, and a long sleeve shirt underneath. Like, I know. So they basically go, go in the changing room, and then just layer on there? Mm-hmm. Or just, like, have a big purse. Or, like, a lady in a stroller. It's people steal baby clothes. That's the most that gets stolen. Baby clothes? Mm-hmm. Baby like clothes moms, is the most thing that gets moms stolen? Moms and strollers, they can just boop. Are you gonna? Are you gonna accuse them? And what do you do when you? No, you're not. No, you're not. So, so you were you trained to go up to them? I'm not chasing after anybody. Okay. <laughs> no, not at all. So you would see people in the store and they'd steal stuff and you just be like, no, I, there's nothing I could do. Not all the time. You know, you can tell a manager and they can handle it, but I'm not gonna chase after someone for some corduroys. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. No, no, not at all. Not worth it. Minimum wage, no health care. No. No thanks. All right, so you go back to, you're, you're working at Old Navy. Uh-huh, and then I'm doing a hairspray in... Uh, the North, musical. Yeah, in northern Seattle, commuting back and forth, and then uh, I'm doing that for a while, and I was going to do another show, uh, The Color Purple, which I love. That was one of my favorite musicals, favorite movies, and the book is amazing, and... I turned down the role because I was like, I need a job. <laughs> I need some money. And because I had gotten a call from Jonathan Pitts, who's like, hey, when are you going to move to Chicago? I was like, I don't have any money, <laughs> so I don't know when. And he's like, you know, you really should. And so I set a plan for myself. I was like, okay, in six months, I'm going to get out of here. And that was, that summer, I was just working a lot, worked for this nonprofit. And then I worked at Macy's, and I was just trying to make a move to earn as much money as possible. And then I got asked to do Avenue Q because I had done some auditions at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle, which is kind of where a lot of Broadway shows can come out, like Hairspray originated there. And so I did Avenue Q, and I was Gary Coleman, which was like the role of a lifetime. And so that kept me there for a little while into January, and then I moved to Chicago with four duffel bags and a dream. And I moved in with some parents, former uh, college improv friends. Dead parrots. We Dead call parrots. each other parrots. Okay, I, I, I didn't know. Uh, uh, and then, so you come here, you, you intern at I.O., mm-hmm. you take some classes at MCL, mm-hmm. and you couldn't afford to take more classes. So you, Yeah, I was, at the time, I was living in Wrigleyville in a lovely five-person home, uh, which... With I, other improvisers? With my parents, my former uh, guys from college. It was me and five dudes, so... What was that like? Stinky. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but we would, lots of bits, and just living on the dream. Like, one of uh, my roommates was going to DePaul. Uh, the others were taking improv classes as well. They were, like, ahead of me in the, the program of I.O., and I was still intern. I had just finished the internship at the time. And then I knew I wanted to take the next level of classes. I was like, oh, I want to see what Second City has to offer. And I had just auditioned for the musical conservatory class, and I got that, but then... It was too expensive. I didn't know that it was going to cost so much at the and time. And at this point, you're living like paycheck to pay. I mean, you're b- barely covering your rent kind of stuff? No, I, I am able to pay rent, but, you know, there's things that you got to take care of before mm-hmm. you do all the stuff. Like, you know, you have bills and responsibilities, right. and I don't, I don't want to just completely ignore those mm-hmm. to sacrifice that all for the art. But, you know, I wanted to make sure I had, mo- in case shit happens, right. money. So I was working at Tweet, the restaurant at the right. time, and that was only a couple days a week and then just picking up odds and ends where I could. So I go into Deanna's office at Second City. And she heads up the Second City, the, the diversity program. Mm-hmm. Wonderful lady. Um, and I had, Jonathan Pitts had introduced me to her months before to say, this is a person you need to be connected to. So I went into her office and filled out the form for an internship, just to like intern so I could take the classes, because I presumed that's how IO did it, that's how Second City would do it. And I knew the Bob Curry Fellowship was like floating in the air. It was past the sign-up date, and because I didn't have 
proper headshots, resume, and I was like, I don't want to go in there looking like I don't have a level of professionalism. So I go into her office, and we, she's like, oh, you know, um, the internship thing is like a little bit different here, but why aren't you signed up for Bob Curry? Like she was looking at my resume and all the things that I'd done, shows in college and like leadership sort of things. And she's like, you would be good for this. You, I mean, you can be on the wait list. I mean, if someone drops out, then totally jump in. But if they don't, maybe next year. I was like, okay. So she, I went home. She emails me. She's like, someone dropped out. You're in next week. Be ready. Went in there. Guess I did pretty good because I got the scholarship through Bob Curry, and then that class started. And that did kind you of have like, to audition for it? Mm-hmm. You had to come in with either a, a comedic monologue or uh, some people doing like kind of their stand-up bits, and then we did some improv back and forth, and then there was a callback. And, and this is like an eight-week master class, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's it's really uh, geared toward diversity at Second City, right? Yeah, finding um, these actors of color who would teaching them everything they need to know about being a Second City actor, kind of the full spectrum of things. And they they got a lot of different people. They were like more actor types, more improviser types, and then like me, I'm a little somewhere in between because I've done a lot of stage work and I've had a lot of improv experience. But before you even finish the program, mm-hmm. they ask you to understudy for Tawny Newsom, mm-hmm. who's on the main stage. At the time, yeah. And, you, and you've never done, you didn't go through the conservative program. Mm-hmm. How did that feel when they asked you to do that? Um, it felt surreal because I didn't know how everything was functioning. I was a little like ahead of the game in a way. And I wasn't sure who I could tell. I was like, is this common knowledge? I just didn't want to like overstep my bounds in the room. And when they gave me the big book of like Tawny's T's and B's, Tops and Bottoms, bottoms. I was like, crap, I hope I don't have to go in. (laughs) Because you see the show and she's doing amazing stuff and the transitions are super quick and beautiful and there's lifts and dancing and Mike Kaczynski's like picking her up and spinning her around and she's talking about the, she's breaking down what people are eating, like by the ingredients and what these ingredients do to your body. And I was like, I don't know if I can figure that out. So, you know, you study the tape, study the script, and I would go watch, the, sit on the bench and watch the show, constantly dreading the day that I'd have to go in for her. And event, I'd never had to, um, but I feel like if I had to, I would have gotten it together and done that. And then, you know, flash forward to Bob Curry to showcase, and that was super fun. I got to work with some really, really great people, like Peter Kim is someone I got to really know, and he's become a great friend of mine through Bob Curry. And so then what happens when Bob Curry's done? Bob Curry's over, and uh, they tell us that there's an up show that is going to be cast. Which is in, another theater at Second yeah, City. Uh, that could, is going to be having a new show, and we get kind of first dibs to sign up for the audition. And it was called Deep Cuts, and it was directed by Anthony LeBlanc. And uh, Peter Kim was also in it, and Kelsey Kenny, and Benta, and Dwayne Perkins were all in it. We're in the show together. So that was great. It was fun to like learn these archive pieces and put up a show that was a little bit edgier because it's stuff that they couldn't do for a long time because it was from like the early 90s when there were a lot more you know brown people on the Second City roster. So they couldn't do that because the material doesn't work. So that was really fun to do those pieces, very physical stuff that we had to do. Um, and that was really fun. And then I didn't even get to finish out that show because they pulled me out to start doing um, The Art of Falling. Which was the show that they did with Hubbard Street Dance, with, which was dance and Second City style stuff all mm-hmm. together. And Chris Redd, who we've had on this podcast oh, before, yeah. I love Chris. Um, <laughs> he's, do, he's doing your, he's rehearsing your part and improvising your part uh-huh. two weeks before you come into the show. Um, what was that? What was that process like? That was it. Was a little surreal because I was like, "Sure, I'll totally do this project. What is it? Where is it? Huh?" They were like, "Oh, it's at the Harris Theater." I was like, "Where's that?" <laughs> and I had no idea. I thought I was going to be on the main stage at Second City. They're like, no, there's going to be like 30 dancers, and it's this huge thing. We don't even know what it's going to be. So you come in, and uh, Tim Mason tells me this story like after the fact that like he was in the show, and I loved him. He was like. Hey, Billy Bungroff, who directed it, it's like, you're bringing in this girl named Rashawn? Like, who is she? 
is she gonna come in like how does she know what we're gonna be doing and like she's probably gonna like mess everything up you probably didn't say that uh, but uh, then I come in and I look at the script I'm like okay so how old is this woman where did she come from is was she dealing with these things like like broke it down like it was a character description or like yeah, I'm an actor like I can analyze text what's up what are we doing so he felt like that was good, like, oh, she's ready to make it happen. And I really liked it because they took, you know, my ideas into consideration. We tried lots of new things. It's very physical stuff. Like, there's a song that I got to sing that was written by um, Jessica Joy and uh, 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 Jesse Case that was a beautiful questions song, beautiful song. And there's, like, two dancers in black silhouette behind me who look kind of like demons as I'm singing this song about the world ending. And like in a spotlight in this beautiful headdress, and just felt like totally surreal. Like all my Broadway dreams had come true, and like this. Is that one, one of your dreams to do Broadway? Oh yeah, I have every intention of like egotting. Okay. For sure. With egotting. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Okay. So, I mean, slowly but, but surely. Okay. <laughs> I'll get it all. But you know, for a, a time, you know, when you're in high school theater, you think like, oh, I'm definitely going to be on Broadway. You know. Doing Pippin and Snoopy is definitely the next thing for me is Broadway. So that's like still, you know, in the making. Who knows? Uh, but that show was just amazing. It was only four nights, and we didn't know what it was going to be, and people really liked it and was well-received, and then it was over. And then I was understood for the touring company. And then Allison Riley calls you into her office mm -hmm. on New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve, and it's like... And, and Anthony LeBlanc is in the room as well, and she says, oh, What do you think when she's calling you in? Well, everyone's, that's the Twitter of it all. Like, right. everyone's like, who's going to get on the stage? What's going to be the next big thing? Who do you think it's going to be? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a producer. And they don't, they don't say, hey, Rashawn, what do you think? Would you want to do this? But at this point, you've got to be thinking, I would just be happy to get, get in a touring company, right? Oh, yeah. That's what I totally thought that I was going to be in a tour. I was like, the natural next step would be to be in the touring company, because that's what I had been understudying for. And then Allison pulls me into her office and tells me Anthony's going to be the next director. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's good for him. But what about me? Like, what? And they say, we want to invite you to be in the cast. And I, like, kind of lost it and started crying. I was like, really, me? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So and when you said really me, was there a part of you that didn't think you well, were... What was the really me part for you? The really me, I think it's because it all happened so fast. Right. You know, and uh, everyone's path is different, and you think, like, maybe the, the, things, the way that I'm going is good for me, but it's not good for everyone else, but maybe this path is fine. But, you know, you think about all the things that you kind of done wrong in the past. Like, should I have just gone ahead and paid the money to do the conservatory uh, thing? And that would have taken me away from meeting Deanna and on that path. Or, I mean, there are so many talented people around. Like, what about me is special? But even though you know you're talented, you still have that like ego that slaps right. at your head. And you're like, oh, maybe. I feel like I could get fired any day. And they're like, don't worry about it. As long as you keep doing what you're doing, you'll be fine. So that's kind of how you check yourself so you don't get such a big ego all the time. It's like, you know, there could be people who are just as good, you know, smarter, faster than you, more talented. There could be there are people out there, but right now it's about you. So enjoy that. Let yourself be selfish for once. Because I, for a long time, wasn't a self-serving person. I did a lot of things that helped other people out, putting their needs ahead of mine. And now is the time where I'm, I'm in a successful part of my career right now where I can say yes to these things. How did you change that? Because I, I need to work on that. What's the day that you realize that you're not doing it all for you? How did I know? I think it was, you know, you... It was a class called um, Personal Performance in college. I had a great instructor named Rich Brown. was like very visceral teacher. He wanted you to be well-read, well-rounded. He wanted you to be physical and know how to use your voice, like use every single part of you to convey this. Never let them see you sweat. Like your whole body is an instrument, and you should warm it up, cool it down, get up at 6 a.m. to... Don't, don't drink, don't, don't smoke, don't... Don't eat right. Yeah, yeah, don't sit down in a car and dr drive because your body is stagnant. You should be riding a bike. You should be running. You should be all on all fours like a fucking animal, you know. And <laughs> and we would we would do these classes where we were just very in our bodies, and I was very connected to everything. 
and very emotional and connected to all of this text. And another instructor named Jim Lortz who had, so you have that full body thing. And then Jim, who's like kind of your lovely grandpa who wants, we would go to call the class intro to crying, intermediate crying, and advanced crying. <laughs> and so and I was in advanced crying. <laughs> and he, you kind of, the, in these 15-minute pieces, you would figure out what is the thing that is knocking against your brain that's stopping you from being the person that you are. And I was like, oh, well, it's because I don't do anything for myself. Like, I have all these great friends and I do all these wonderful things, but I think it's selfish when I buy myself a pair of shoes when I could. My brother could use this because he's in school. Like, I could, I would send my brothers a couple dollars here and there. Or, like, I wouldn't buy myself. I work in a clothing store, but I hardly ever would buy anything for myself or just thinking, like, all of this is for something else. Like, you're working really, really hard so that you have payoff in the end. I was an old woman. Someone in class said, Rashawn, you're 40 years old. You've been 40 years old since you've been 12. And when someone says something like that to you, you're like, well, shit, maybe I am. I haven't really done anything for me. So then that light opens, the door opens, and you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to do stuff for me. And like, that's how I got this tattoo about it's me. It's a key. It's a key. What, is this, what does that symbolize? It's a skeleton key that's just like me taking control of my life and doing the things that I want to do because they help me. I'm unlocking doors. Me shaking your hand is me making that connection with you, not because someone else told me to. When she told you that, you know, you've been 40 since you were 12 and you're in advanced crying, did you cry? Yeah, <laughs> the way that's another you know, buckets of tears and just a snot and all this stuff on the floor. And you, you realize this stuff about yourself. And once you do, you're like, you kind of awoke and you're like, oh, I've been such an idiot. But also not because you had to be an idiot to realize your full potential ahead of time. So... Sometimes that's what you gotta kind of have to do. You have to kind of check yourself. And when you got Second City, of course, in Second City fashion, they tell you you can't tell anybody yeah. keep it a secret. Which I don't understand why they do that. Well, because they, you know, they they have their way that they want to run things, and I totally respect that. You know, they gotta let you know the masses know before they let the masses know. So I totally respect that. And like right afterwards, I was going to do um, a gig at, I think we were at the Space in Evanston. No, City Winery. A music venue here A in music town. venue, yes. I was playing with uh, Dead River Revival, which is kind of a, a group that Billy Bungaroff and Julie Nichols are all in, and it was very fun. I got okay, to... it wasn't people from Dead Parrots, was it? No, this okay, was great. just purely music. Okay, that's the rumor I just heard. Just the band. Dead, Dead Parrots, but go on. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, and Chris Red was doing stand-up there, and who's basically my, my comedy brother. Love him so, so much. So you can't tell anybody, but you go and you do this show. I, I told Julie Nichols. <laughs> okay, I, I was like, between I was us. like oh, hey, well, yeah. not really. Come on, we're recording. Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> and it's long since happened, and I was right. like, oh my God, Julie, guess what? Oh my God, I got this thing, and I can't tell anybody but I told you where do I put my bag down when is sound check like it was like totally focused on so many different things and like that show was so great because the music that they play is just so awesome it's like rock soul funk and I could really like express how I was feeling through the music and I love to put on a, a musical show that's so fun like engaging with an audience through music is so different from improv in what way but just as satisfying it's like you know, when, when you go see an improv show, you know that you're kind of like letting it all go. You're suspending disbelief so that these people can create the story in front of you. And music tells a, a, a story in such a more textured way because like a sound can make you remember how you felt. Can you get a more, more emotional in music? Yeah, I think so for me just because it was in those acting classes that I took, I would always try to incorporate music into my pieces that I presented. Like I did a piece... I was like inspired by a Prince song, The Seven. You know that one? Mm -hmm. All seven and we watch them fall. They stand in the way of love and we will smoke them all. With an intellect and a savoir faire, no one in the whole universe will ever compare. So it was like these seven pillars of your life. They were like trying to knock down because they've, they, you've built these things up. So that was more of a visual, uh, visual connection that I could have to it, and music sets the tone so you know where you're supposed to be in your brain. And then you can change people's minds really quickly in music. You can stop all the music at once and everybody stops dancing, like, what's going on? They can bring it back and like, as if nothing ever happened. So there's a lot more story to be had with music. We're going to improvise now. Okay. Okay? What would you like to do? You can do anything that you want to do. Want to do a scene? Yeah, we can do okay, a scene. Okay, great. Uh, how, how do you want to start? 
how do you like to start? We can get a location or a... Great. Can we yeah. get a location that would fit on this stage? Backyard. A backyard. Great. Okay. Uh, and when you hear backyard, is the suggestion, what do you, what, how, does, how does your mind work with that? Backyard, I see the backyard of my family's first home in Auburn, Washington. It's like, this is mm -hmm. the kind of thing you want. So the backyard is really, really big. To a little kid, it's like a football field. It's mm -hmm. huge. And my dad's got a um, plot of earth where there's vegetables growing and the compost heap and these big sunflowers. And, I, and my brother's in his Tonka trucks and stuff. My brother's throwing football back and forth. And there are like tulips all around the house. And one, one family has a fence up. Mm -hmm. And that's not always been there. I've been able to like run all the way down to another friend's house, knock on the door and say, hey, is Janelle awake? I want to play. And then she would run back over. So, and so, what, so th that memory comes to your mind. Immediately. And then how will you use that in the scene? Um, it's a, I would. You're just going to let it affect you? Yeah, I, would, I don't know if I, would, I, could be, I could be that little girl with Sean again. I could, be, I could see it now where all the fences are up mm -hmm. and it's not as exposed. Mm -hmm. uh, I drove past that old family home and I know that they've like kind of ruined that house, which is a shame because it was a pretty blue house with pretty flowers and mm -hmm. I would sit outside and read or ride my bike in the cul-de-sac mm -hmm. and stuff. Great, let's do it. Cool. Ooh, oh my gosh. You know, they just leave stuff out. Yeah, I know. For everyone to pick up, you know? It's a shame. It is. It really is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you really be smoking around all these kids? But, but, uh, it's a, I'm taking a break. A break from what? Break from the birthday party. You can't take a break from a birthday I party. I can too. I said I'll be back in five minutes. You can't do that. What do you mean? I paid you $15 to entertain the kids. I, I'm a professional, okay? I get the, they're playing with the cards right now. At least put your nose on. Don't tell me what to do, I all will right? tell you what I, you need to do for $15, okay? This is why I don't like to do these gigs in these neighborhoods. Oh, there's nothing wrong with this neighborhood. There's yeah, it is. There's nothing wrong with your attitude. Sir, okay. Do you want to? I don't tell you how to like bake a cake. Do you think I know how to bake a cake? Is that yeah? Because you're that yeah, I'm... yeah. Is that a skill I'm supposed to have? Yeah, because you're a woman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I could bake a mean fucking cake, but don't assume that that's all I can do. Okay? Yeah, I'm sure you vacuum, right? No, I have you a gal who comes around and does it. A gal. Yeah. Really. That's what I call all my yeah. Why don't, you have, why don't you have a husband? I don't have a husband because I don't need one. Yeah. Okay? Right. Why don't you have a real job? This is a, re <laughs> this is a real job. $15 an hour, you're not really making much. But that's okay, you know? Because I'm a good hostess. Do you want a fresca? No, I don't want a fresca. Okay, you I don't want to get my makeup all smeared. I got straws. No, I'm fine. Come on. No. It's a crazy straw. No. It's fun. No, I'm it's fine. It's fun. Just leave it there. I'll have it later. Yeah, okay. okay. See, you'll come around. See, no, you're pretty. I, I would imagine that you'd, you'd have a lot of, lot of guys after you. Oh, yeah. Well, kind of focusing on baking a lot, so I don't really have time to get out. Yeah. Takes a lot of effort to go get flour and eggs and that sort of thing. But I'm okay, you know. I do all right by myself. What do you do for a living? I do for a living. Yeah, yeah. I drive a school bus. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I like being around kids. They're fun. I let them listen to the radio when we're driving. I like to slam on the brakes so they know to wear their seatbelt. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> it's real fun. I used to drive a cab. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, and then I got a DUI, and then I, I decided, you know. See, that's a family motto. Always get home. <laughs> that's your fault, man. You should learn how to be in control of your liquor so you can get home. Yeah, that fresco looks good. Mm-hmm. You have vodka? Of course they have vodka. It's a kid's party. Great. Give me a little vodka. <laughs> the okay. second act with the kids, I'm going to really, I'm going to blow them away. But okay. I need to loosen up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Here, just there put it go. in there. Yeah. That's nice. That's real nice. You know, with the kids, you know, it's really fun. I could thought about being a kid's performer for a bit, but I thought, you know, I had bigger dreams than that. I want to be an adult kid performer. Like for high school kids. But they're like real mean. Yeah, I did a high school once. They are really mean. <coughs> They'll call you names, you know? Yeah. 
And they'll throw stuff at you. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not good. I don't think I was that bad of a kid in high school. Not like these kids now. No, these kids today. I the mean, foul they, language, you know, the, you know it's, it's, it's terrible. They just have access to too many things. Yeah, that's a yeah, problem. Your drugs. Yeah, they have good stuff, though. Yeah, really good stuff. Real good stuff. But you know what it's Did you get good? high? No, dude. There's kids around. So what? So what? I gotta look, loosen up, you know what I'm saying? You smoke around kids, they're gonna I, get a you know, crazy, lazy eye. They don't know I'm in makeup. They don't care, they can't see. No, I'm talking about them. Contact high and fuck up a kid, okay? My parents did it and didn't fuck me up. You're a clown. You're a clown, okay? So? So, I mean, I, mean, I want a little bit more for my kids. I mean, what you're doing is great for you. But my kids are going to be, you know, something. Do you want white meat or dark meat? Uh, dark meat. Okay. I'm going to be on here for a couple more minutes. Yeah, I want my kids to have more, man. You are the bare minimum, and what you're doing is great. You're awesome. Thanks. You're cool. Thanks. Thank you. You're cool. Man, I think I want to get out of this bus driving game, though. Yeah, maybe get a husband. <sighs> I'd rather drive a bus. Why? You got That's, two beautiful kids in there. Yeah, and they can get in the bus and we can go do whatever we want. Yeah, see, that's the problem with women. They're, they're so, today, they, they, uh, they, they, wanna, they think they want a better life. If you just got married, it'd be a better life. How so? You'd have a guy who would provide for you. You wouldn't have to drive a bus. Maybe I like driving a bus. Maybe I like being in control of something, okay? Like these kids, I tell them what to do. Mm. They love me unconditionally. They're like puppies. I love it. You really think they love you? I do. I really do. Well, I never loved my, my parents never loved me. Man. <laughs> and when I go out there, that's the message I want to tell these kids in the second act. I'm going to have to disagree. I feel like you should focus on you, maybe. Maybe wipe away the makeup. Figure out what's going on underneath here, okay? Because if, you're just kind of sad. And that makes me kind of sad, and it's kind of bringing down the mood of the party, you know? That's okay. Well, mate, why don't I'm you have a, a sad wife? Clown. Sad clown. Got divorced. How come? She said it was the drinking. Was it the drinking? Yeah. And the gambling. <laughs> and the gambling. So why don't you find another wife, someone who can tolerate your drinking and why, your gambling? Why do you think I'm a clown? You, think you, you thought you were going to come here and... And like woo me with your, with yeah. your, with your clown I'm do, I'm ways. I'm doing it right now, aren't I? No, I can tell you're attracted to me. I, I mean, you're attracted to me. Maybe. No. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're mistaken. I think you, I think you're a great guy. So sweet. Thank you for coming by for the hey, kids. Hey, hey, hey. You know, let me Who throw would now extra... find me attractive? I'm in show business. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I'm in show business. Yeah. What year do you think it is? Like Von 2015. Okay, but yeah. I mean, like, who says, you know, like, there's a future in it? You yeah. Get with me. Yeah. That's yeah. like very presumptuous of you. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But let's, I mean. I know when someone's flirting with me. You don't. Yeah. You really don't. You know, I know a lot of great gals down at the Why, why did you, uh, why did you make me a burger and have me come out here? Because I'm paying you $15 an hour. So the very least I could do is, is feed you. Yeah, well, it's some just, people take that as coming on to them. At a children's Yes, at a birthday. children's birthday party. Perfect. Why do you think I do this clowning thing? Okay, well, I get to go into people's houses, right? Okay. I get to meet women. This is a safe way to meet women. It's better than OkCupid. It's better than any of that online stuff. I'm gonna be, yes. There's a lot of potential to be raped on one of those things. But um, I don't know why I have just, to bring up rape. Oh, just, just throw it in the garbage. I'm a clown. I don't... I, no, no, no. I'm just, it's, it's, that's a word I should be able to say without you getting up in arms. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, just saying. Letting you I, know. I've had other people that have accused me of that, and I just, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Okay, I'm sensitive about that. I'm sorry, I said one of your trigger words. It's okay. Henry the Clown. <laughs> okay? Henry, you're doing a great job here. You really are. And I just want to say those charges, they, they dropped them. They, nothing was ever brought up. I know, I looked And that was like 14 years ago, okay? <laughs> Okay. I mean, when you did my background check, did anything come up? No. Okay, not even my credit card debt? No. Okay, cool. We all got debt. That's nothing. Well, great. 
Okay. See, we got a lot in common. You've got that, I've got that. But I don't want to be with you. I'm going to put that out there. I just want to be very clear that I'm not interested in pursuing a relationship with you, Henry the Clown. I feel like there is a line that I'm going to draw. Boom, right there. Okay. You stay over there as the employee of the evening, and I'll stay over here as the proprietor of the party. Think of it like great expectations. You're Pip. I'm just going to give you money. You do what I say, and you leave, okay? Have you read that book? No. Okay, let's think about it. All right, let's say like it's Aladdin. Okay. And you're Abu, the monkey. Mm-hmm. And I give you a banana, and you're like, ooh, so excited. What do I have to do to get another banana? You entertain the children. And I'm just going to be a cool street rat. Okay. Okay? I I'm get just, it. I just want to be very clear. It's very clear. I mean, it's a great evening. You know, the sun is out. The kids are excited. You're doing a very great job entertaining children. Entertaining ladies, not so much. Okay. okay. But you're right. You're a good guy. Okay. I mean, Just one, one thing. Okay. Because i got to go back out there. Sure, sure, sure. What's one thing that I could do differently? Um, not approach women at children's birthday parties. <laughs> <laughs> Very fun. Okay, uh, what'd you like about it? I like that uh, you you get right into the, the the hurdy stuff. The hurdy stuff, like like oh yeah, my life is shit. Right. And I want to talk to you about this. I want to reach out to this other human, mm-hmm. disregarding the circumstances. Like mm-hmm. we could just get hung up on the fact that we're at a barbecue, we're doing right. this and this. But you wanted to talk about like why don't you have a husband? Right. Why don't you? Why don't, you, why don't you find me attractive? What is it about me? Mm-hmm. Like, these are the things that happened. Like, if we were at a bar, that same sort of conversation would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you would have done differently in the scene? In the scene, I think I would have, uh, would have had a, like, a goal mm-hmm. a little bit more. But we were just kind of playing in, in between. I was, vibing I was off thinking the you. same thing. I was like, you know what? I need to have a want. Because we were very cl- clever, and I thought it was very fun. And then I'm like, I need to have a want. And I always seem to go for the one. It's like, okay, I'm going to see if I'm going to pick her up. You know? <laughs> that always seems to be the easiest, an go, easy want to play. Is that in life and in improv? Well, I'm married, so, uh, but mostly in, <laughs> probably in both, actually. Even though I'm married, I think I still, I still have to go, I'm still after it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I usually I fall back on that one because it's like I'm like okay, what is it? Who are we to each other? And mm-hmm. let, let's let's. It's fun to play a want, uh-huh. you know. Um, anything else? Uh, yeah, I thought I, I thought I could have been harder on you in terms of my point of view, but I was like, uh, I don't want to be. I don't. And this is I, I want your opinion on this. I was thinking I could be harder in terms of like be more chauvinistic. If, if that's what, like, your character was coming from, if, because you had said, you know, don't you want a husband, someone yes. who can provide for you, and, and then you put that into, like, oh, I'm, you're hitting on me. This is right. a relationship that can work. But the type of man that was set up was not the man I was presented with. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it would have been different if it's, like, you know, Rico Suave, like, se- like sexy party clown. Right. There's maybe someone I would have, like... Yeah, been I'm into sin. yes. I don't know if you were yes. if I was just like, oh man, those kids were having the best time. Let's go and have a romp in the coat room. Like that would have been, that could have been a thing. But I mean, we put and uh, we put up these these walls. Like you presumed I didn't have a husband, right? So maybe I did. Maybe right. he was in the other room. Maybe you were dressed up as the. Maybe you were the husband. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, that's just how it went. But I mean, I like to. It was nice to be like uh, to be moving as well. Like sometimes you can get stuck yes. in like the talking heads thing, yeah. which is not as as entertaining because uh, you have to also know that you're putting on a show for people, mm-hmm. even if you pay you know three dollars to see it in a bar. Mm-hmm. You want people to see a show like a rain, like a beginning, middle, and end. It's a little play that you're putting on, even if it's just like a micro, like a small second of mm-hmm. it. Let's play. So let's take some questions from the audience. Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, right here. Uh, you're talking about 
talking about earlier how you had to transition between trying to take care of yourself more. Mm -hmm. uh, I was curious, in improv scenes, uh, there's kind of two ways that I've learned to attack them. You know, take care of your partner or take care of yourself. What do you find yourself doing more uh, naturally? Um, I think I take care of my partner. Uh, I, it's like a, you kind of toe the line. You kind of have to do both at the same time. But I do think I, the partner, because it's like in me to be like a caregiver. I want to make sure that they feel well defined and they know who the, uh, they are. And so we can balance off of each other like what Jimmy and I had done. You know, he laid on these things about me, which helped me figure out who I am so I can take the time to figure out what's going on in his life. So give me an example of that scene, how you would have been taking care of me. Literally, I gave you comfort for food and, and right. drink because you were like in your, you're so stuck in this like curmudgeon, uh, smoking, smoking curmudgeon character. Like, there's got to be some light in your life. How can we figure this out? Right. It's not the money. You were like, ah, oh, fifteen dollars. Who cares? You didn't want the drink at first, but then you did a little bit later, and then maybe you did want the food, or maybe you did want to hear. If I was really good at baking pies, is that something you'd be like, oh, she definitely is into me. Like, figure, and also the best way to a man's heart is through his stomach. That's like well, standard. And, I, and the other thing that was just a things. great gift in the scene was put on your nose, you know, which was a great thing that I was a clown, you mm -hmm. know, without saying, it was a very hip move. It wasn't like, oh, you're a clown. It was like, put on your nose. I knew exactly what you meant by that. Like Great, little, another question? Nuggets. Right here? I was going to ask you a thing about the diversity project back in the city, how well it's grown in the last number of years. Tom, if you could talk into the mic so we could hear your question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, how, how has the experience for you there, the diversity program for people in the film program? Oh, the diversity program has been really good to me. Like there, the Bob Curry, my, my year, there was like, there were 16 of us, just ranging of talent and, and shades and ethnic, ethnic backgrounds, and it's been really good to know that these people are being counted as well. And it's not just because they are people of color, it's because we are educated, talented artists. I mean, if you were just hired because of the color of your skin, that's bullshit. I want to know that there's talent behind it. I would rather be referred to as an actor who happens to be black and female than the black actress, if that answers your question. Great. Another question right here? Yeah. Um, it really does depend on the scene, and sometimes I'll get like inspired, like this scene needs to be lively, or you're kind of reading the room, like a lot of these scenes have been kind of slow paced, so maybe we need to like amp it up. And I think a character really comes from the voice for me sometimes, and because of the prior discussion of like, oh, this is a familiar thing, I kind of kept it close to me. But so you find it in the in the scene itself, not mm -hmm. necessarily. Yeah, it kind of hap that like decision happens probably like you get the suggestion and it's like okay everything clears and then that step forward is like oh this is who I'm okay. gonna be and kind of it it's just like it hits you if you think about it too much then that gets you in your own head and then that's that ego slapping at you like am I doing this right or am I just living in them I just happen to be a, a like a character who's kind of ditzy or a character who's very confident in things or a character who's just like really hungry and it's just the only thing I came here to do is figure out what I want to eat and they, all these people are like distracting you from your goal is just to eat or your goal is to just like find a place to sit down or select a book or cross the street. What do you do when, the, when it is slapping on your head saying you know uh, you know I'm being very self-conscious about doing this character how do you, how do you get out of that? Um, you, I feel it's like you're reading the scene. If you feel like you're, you're driving it too much, you can see that not everyone's having a good time. Like if you don't, you don't like if it's an ensemble, you got to all be on the same page. If there's one person who's standing out mm -hmm. more than the others, and that's not the intention of the scene, then you can feel like you're like the odd man out. Even though you think you're crushing it, you're kind of fucking it up for everybody else. Because it's supposed to be you're taking care of the other people on the stage. So, if, so you're, if you're standing out, you feel like you're, you're, doing, you're, you're doing something wrong? No, but you can be doing too much. There's mm -hmm. a way to like, be present without having to be so loud all the time. Like, like what's an example? Um, 
let's see, like, there's a scene in our show where it's very, um, I don't want to give anything away for those who haven't seen the show, but it's very, um, the scene is, is, it's very taboo, the subject matter. And we all have moments where we are taking the focus and, like, and being the center of attention. And even those of us in the background, we're all equally important. If one person goes way over the top, it kind of fucks it up for everybody else. So you kind of have to like be a team player and know what your, your intention is and how that will help the group. You can be self-serving and help other people at the same time. Great. We had a question from this gentleman here. How that inspired by the interview? Um, do you know how it inspired you at all? How, how the clown, that character? How the clown inspired in you? Um, for me, you were talking about your dad, and for mm-hmm. some reason, I, I don't know why. I thought, does your dad smoke at all? He does smoke cigarettes. Okay, so I just, I, to me, it was like I originally was going to be the your father, smoking, and. and and uh, or the neighbor smoking and how the neighborhoods changed how mm-hmm. that my initial thing was you were you were coming back to visit and it's changed mm. and so i was either going to i was originally going to be the neighbor or the father but smoking when you were talking about your dad i was just thinking about smoking because He's a cool guy <laughs> well yeah cool you know that that's how that inspired it so then when i got there and you made me the clown cuz in the first what would you say, 30 seconds? We didn't know who we were to each other. We were feeling it out. And when you said the nose, then I'm like, okay, I'm a clown. I worked there. And now I could have been the father, but I, just, I took it as I'm a birthday party clown. So um, that, that's how I used it. It just came off the cigarette. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, we've got to wrap this up, but I want to ask a couple more questions before oh, sure. you have to go. You're a really good singer, and you have a strong musical background. You also have a strong theater background. When I started out in improv, this is back in, I don't even know, in the late 80s, mm-hmm. uh, musical training was not a necessity. Uh, how important is theater training and musical training today to, to, to make it at Second City? I think theater training is very important because it, it gives you discipline. To because there's a lot. Second City operates unlike any other theater I've ever experienced. So we, you know, being in process where you're learning the old show while presenting new scenes for your show in rehearsal that you will then try out in the set, and then could possibly go into the show in the next day. So your memory retention has to be like on it, and you have to be able to uh, be fluid and change characters. With the, you know, a scene could be two to three minutes, and you're going to be completely someone def- different, and it's a physical thing too. So this, the discipline and the training. So I really think like learning in that class with Rich Brown about how to control my body is very helpful, and then be able to like tackle these very like heartfelt topical issues, like things are happening in the world, is the Jim Lord side of it, like the advanced crying, or maybe it's not always advanced crying, but it's like intermediate crying with these scenes. And I think a musical background. It's just an added bonus because it's something that I really, really love that I can, I, it's, it's sometimes easier for me to sing something than it is to make something up on the spot. Does it give you an edge? It does. does. Definitely. I mean, there are people who can't, the songs that I sing on the show are like, I wrote it and I sing it as, as it's me singing. So it's very difficult to like imitate. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. This has been so much fun. What one piece of advice would you give someone starting out in improv today? I would say... Fuck everybody else. Have fun. Great. Thank you so much. (laughs) And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. I want to thank our guest, Rashawn Scott. I love that story about 
the Bob Curry Fellowship. She was going in for an internship, and she basically got upgraded and fell in place. And I just love her confidence. I just, I just, I just love it. I hope some of it uh, rubs off on me. I want to thank Stage Seven Seven Three. They're the people that host Improv Nerd, as well as my producer Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. Also, Sam Bowers, who directs Improv Nerd Live, the live stage version of Improv Nerd. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes and my Improv Nerd blog, just go to my website, jimmycorain.com. Also, follow us on social media. We're on the fa- we're on the Facebook. You know the Facebook. Uh, like Improv Nerd Facebook page. It really helps with my low self-esteem. Follow us at Improv underscore Nerd at Twitter. And then go to this wonderful YouTube channel for Improv Nerd. It's Improv Nerd Podcast. We've got some great clips from the live shows. We're also on a podcast collective, Feral Audio. You might have heard of them. Oh, if you haven't heard of FeralAudio.com, you have, I'm sure you've heard of Dan Hart. Harmon, Chelsea Peretti, Todd Berry, because they all have podcasts on feralaudio.com. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, Idaho Laugh Fest. That's idaholaughfest.com for more information. And of course, I want to thank you for listening, because without you, this would just be a gigantic waste of time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. say uh seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing boris karloff what would it what would that be like <laughs> it might go something like this oh mr karloff i loved you and frankenstein and i love giving you a blowjob why mr seinfeld i'd love having you 